We've been in a series called Your Source, Your Course. This is the fourth week of that message series. We started the series talking about the fact that Jesus said himself, he is the only way. And then we, we looked at what happens in our minds and said, you know, the problem isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is the way we think about the problem. I'd encourage you to go back if you haven't listened to those messages. Uh, listen to those. If you missed those Sundays and you were on vacation or whatever the case may be, listen to those messages over the last few weeks. This morning, we're going to be the fourth installment, part four, uh, a message called Prepared for the Race. Prepared for the Race. This is really for all of us. But it's especially for those of us who are thinking about children, whether you have children in your home still or whether you have grandchildren or maybe you have nieces and nephews or you have friends who have children, we're all a part of raising children, right? We're all a part of, of raising up the next generation. Even if you don't have a, a lot of access or a lot of interaction with children, you need to know you are still an influence in the life of young people. And so for all of us, Let's pay attention this morning to see how significant this is. Again, we'll talk more about this, Kathy and I will, and, and staff, as we do our parenting class in a, in a few weeks. But this morning, I'm going to give you an introduction to that because it fits with this series, and I, this is really what God had put on my heart for this time. In Genesis chapter 25, if you have your Bibles, turn there. In Genesis chapter 25, starting at verse 19, let's, uh, let's read what God has to say to us about training up children in the way they should go and what happens in this passage of scripture we'll begin to apply it and unpack it <clears throat> genesis 25 19 now these are the records of the generations of isaac abraham's son abraham became the father of isaac and isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of bethuel the aramean of padan aram the sister of laban the aramean to be his wife Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. That's a good thing, isn't it? Because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, so far, everything's going along well. They're praying, and God is answering prayer. God answers a prayer to, uh, that Isaac finds a wife, and he found, found the wife, and then he prayed that she would get pregnant. She got pregnant. Then, he, then she's praying now about helping, God, help me understand what's going on in my womb. Why are these children so rambunctious? And she's inquiring of the Lord. It's all really good. The Lord, verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations, now God's talking to them. So there, there's a two-way conversation, isn't there? That there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth, and with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau 
because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And that line, that last sentence, is an indication to us that there's going to be trouble. And it describes the reason and the source of that trouble that will continue, not just for one generation or two or three generations, that trouble, that issue, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. That created a problem that still exists to this day. Let me just let you think about that for a second. Because what we're talking about is the significance of raising children, raising up the next generation to know the Lord. If you think it's not significant, think about what you just read and what we're going to unpack in the next few minutes. It's an incredible joy having children, isn't it? I mean, and, and it's even better when you have grandchildren. Because when you have grandchildren, you're no longer responsible for anything except just loving them and spoiling them. That's, that's, that, that's my responsibility, and I take it very seriously. Uh, we have five grandchildren now, one on the way, and we're so incredibly excited about every single one of them, and we're amazed by them as they, as they grow up and they learn to talk and they learn to do what they do, and it's just so fun. You know, they start sing, saying uh, words that, that you don't, they don't, I don't even know where they hear these words. I've told you before about our granddaughter, Hazel, who's now three, who before she, just before she turned two, started talking and forming full sentences, started talking about angels, talking to angels, seeing angels. They were actually living in our home at the time. She didn't even, her mom had not even told her about angels yet. And she's having conversations. This one encounter, I've told you about this, you know, where, where angel, she's talking to, she's, she's telling Lauren about this angel she's seeing. And so one day Lauren said, she's talking to this angel. One day Lauren, our daughter, said to Hazel, what did the angel say to you? She's not even two yet. She looked at her mama and she said, he said, and this is exactly what she did. She said, he said, he's going to take care of me, and he's going to take care of us. Now, think she's talking to an angel? I do. Um, she used to have this, well, she still has a, a very, uh, let's say a, let's say a dynamite type temper. It just, <laughs> it just goes off like a stick of dynamite, and she's, all of a sudden, she is really mad. So Lauren taught her, she said, Hazel, when you're mad, you don't have to just fly apart and just, you know, totally scream and hurt our ears and just say, Mommy, I'm frustrated. Now, I don't think she thought about how hard that would be for a two-year-old to say, but Hazel figured it, out, figured it out. And so she would go around uh, periodically and she would just sit down on the floor and say, Mommy, I'm frustrated. Um, she looked up at the uh, our mantle on the fireplace one day, and she was just, we have a picture of Jesus there. Lauren said, Hazel, do you know who that is? And she just shook her head, and she said, that's Jesus, Lauren said. That's Jesus, our Savior. And Hazel, still just two years old, said, yeah, 
and he's a really good guy. I love him. Now, I could go on and on, <laughs> but the other grandparents would want equal time, and so we're going to move on. But here's the deal. Our children and our grandchildren are so amazing, aren't they? They're like sponges. They soak up everything they see and everything they hear. And they need to be soaking up the right thing. They need to be soaking up the right truth. They need to be soaking up the right peace. They need to be soaking up the right environments. They need to be soaking up the information you give them from God. Because the significance of those little lives are way more, way more significant than what we realize when God said to Rebecca, two nations are in your womb, she didn't understand the significance of his words. She didn't have God's perspective on this. Neither, neither the father or the, neither, neither Isaac nor Rebecca understood the significance of the two little lives in which they had been entrusted, Esau and Jacob. You know, I've been... Uh, married now, Kathy and I, for 34 years. And God has enriched our lives in such incredible ways in our own relationship, but through our children and now our grandchildren. It's impossible for us to quantify just in our own lives. And now as we watch our children do what they're doing and our grandchildren becoming who they're becoming, it's impossible for us, even though we're aware of it, it's still impossible for us to quantify the significance of these lives that God entrusts to us for a short period of time. When these two parents, Isaac and Rebecca, decided to choose one baby over the other, they had no idea the harm they were doing to them. They had no idea the significance of their words or their choices or their decisions. And in, in some cases, friends, for us, we don't either. So as you're following along in your notes, here's the first point. As we prepare our children for the race, we need to help them understand that identity, their identity is their foundation. Their identity in Jesus, the identity that God has given them, is their foundation. See, Isaac and Rebecca focused on what they do. And they began to think that that was their identity, that because Esau loved to hunt, that that's who he was. Because Jacob loved to be in the tents and do other things, that's who he was. They failed as parents to show these boys who they are as, they, as it relates to God, knowing God. You might say they even gave them a false identity. I shared a couple weeks ago in the message of the second message of this series, these four things are four greatest needs. I want to review them with you. I'd encourage you to write them down because here's what happens in all of our lives. This is true for all of us, but this is what happens in all of our lives when we have a relationship with God or when we don't. See, our four greatest needs are identity, I'll go through these, I'll go back and go through these, but our identity, acceptance, security, and purpose. 
Those are our four greatest needs. God created us with those greatest needs. And he created us to receive all of that from him. Everybody agree with that so far? The high school students all agree with that. Everybody else? Everybody, you all agree with that? The, God created us to need to know our identity. To need to know that we're accepted by him, to need to know that we're secure in him, to need to know that he gives us our purpose. Those four things on the, on the left there. When we don't have those, when we're not secure in our relationship with God, when we don't have that understanding, the natural reaction is fear. So because we don't know our identity, we will fear and we'll become a poser. We'll pose. We'll act like, in Esau's case, I'm a hunter. I have to be mean. I have to be powerful. I have to be stronger than anybody else. And I will take what I need through power. And I will fight. And I will go to war. And I will be a man of war. That's who I will be. That isn't who he was really created to be. But that's what he became. He was a poser. We pose through our work. We pose through our possessions we pose through a lot of things if we're not secure in our identity in Jesus Christ because fear will cause us to pose are you with me so far the next one is acceptance we need to know and experience acceptance from God the very first thing that happened in the garden of eden is that adam and eve began to feel believe they had been rejected by god it was a lie they believed from Satan himself. They'd not been rejected by God. But that's what happens when we don't feel acceptance, we feel rejection. Now, friends, I'm talking about something that's universal. All 7.3 billion people on the planet experience these things. Every day, almost. You either feel acceptance or you feel rejection. There's no middle ground. You either sense your identity or you, begin a, you become a poser. The next thing we need from God is security. God promises all through his word that he will provide and he will keep us safe. That's why it was so significant for Hazel to hear from the angel. He's going to take care of me. Do you believe that? Do you believe, really, do you believe that God will take care of you? Of your children, do your children believe that? Do they hear that from you? This is foundational, friends. This is so huge. We either feel security, acceptance, or we feel rejection. We either feel security or we feel insecure. And when we feel insecure, we will try to find security in all kinds of things. We'll try to find security in a in a vocational pursuit. We'll try to find security in maybe other friends. We'll try to find security in where we live or in what we look like. It's all sort of posing and, uh, you know, trying to feel acceptance and security. We're trying to figure it out and do it on our own. And God gives us our purpose. We all, every single person in the room has a God-given purpose. 
He designed you. He specifically designed you. And when he sees you, that's what he sees. When he sees you, he sees his son. He sees his daughter. He sees someone he gave identity to. He gave, he accepts you. He loves you. He, he gives you, he promises you all through his word that he's going to make you secure. He's going to provide for you. And he has a purpose for you to live out in his kingdom so that no one else, no one else can live out your purpose. We need, God wants you to live out your purpose. Only you can do that because there's only one you. In Jacob and Esau's case, they were just trying to figure it out on their own, which is what happens in a lot of cases. That's why we have so many people who are confused, chasing after drugs and alcohol and other things to try to figure out who they are. Or because they're so fearful, anesthetize the pain. I, uh, I don't know if anybody ever heard of Leighton Ford. Anybody here hear of Leighton Ford? A few of you? I, uh, I had a phone conversation with him a couple years ago. He's a good friend of uh, my mentor, Marvin Martin, and Marvin uh, connected the two of us, and we had several things to talk about related to mentoring and, and raising up next generation and so forth. Um, Leighton was adopted. Uh, his mother, when he was born, gave him up for adoption. She lived in Canada. And as, a, as an adult, um, only maybe, I don't know, 30 years ago or so, 23 years ago, um, Leighton decided he was going to find his mom and found that she lived in Canada, so he traveled there, and it was she knew he was coming. They'd never seen one another since the day he was born, and she handed him off to the adoptive agency. So he was driving through Canada, and it was a cold, cold, snowy day, beautiful day, huge blanket of snow all over the trees and the landscape and he drove and he finally got to this house and he under a tree he could see a woman standing there outside watching for him to come and when he got there they embraced and she just couldn't take it she just she couldn't hold it together she just sobbed and they walked into the house and they had this amazing time together And he said to her, Mom, is there anything I can do for you? And she said, just tell me you love me. I need your love. She had no idea. She had no idea what the significance of that life. Leighton Ford, if you don't know who he is, married Billy Graham's sister, became a worldwide known evangelist, led the Lausanne Conference that united a large percentage of the church around the globe and had an incredible career working in the Billy Graham Association, traveling all over the world, probably led almost as many people in preaching revivals and crusades, almost as many people came to know Christ through his ministry as did through Billy Graham himself the significance of one life. We have no idea, do we, just how significant these little children are going to become. Well, they are when they're born. 
the purpose that God has for them. We need to know, we need to help them know identity is foundation. Secondly, we need to teach them to know the right master. Their parents, these, these parents, Isaac and Rebecca, taught these two boys through deception, by example. They taught them to be deceptive. Do you know that there's one religion in the world where deception is a virtue still to this day? Do you know which one it is? Deception is a virtue. In this particular religious culture, very large percentage of the population of the planet adheres to that particular form of faith. And that's what that's the kind of environment that Esau and Jacob grew up in. There was a boy who um, told his father one morning, he said, uh, Dad, there's, a, there's going to be a small assembly at our school this morning, and I'd like for you to come. And his father asked, he said, well, what do you mean a small assembly? How, wh- what's going on? He said, well, um, there's going to be a meeting in the principal's office with the principal and you and me. <laughs> and so when his son, when, when he decided he should probably go to this assembly, and so he went to the meeting, and the principal was explaining to the father of the son, he said, he's always in trouble. He's always in trouble because he's always stealing school supplies. He's stealing pencils. He steals erasers. He steals markers. He steals paper. And the father said to the principal, Oh, I don't, have, I don't understand why he would steal this stuff from school. I could bring everything he needs from my office. <laughs> and then he stopped and thought, Maybe I do understand. They're sponges, aren't they? More is caught than taught. If you don't know the master, God himself, it's likely your children won't know him either. And when they don't know the master, the most significant decisions they're ever going to make are not going to be influenced by God. They start making really significant decisions. We'll talk more about this in detail in the parenting class we're going to teach in a couple weeks. But... uh, these significant decisions they make, for example, when they're in their 20s, most of the time, about 95% of the time, that third decade of life from 20 to 30, your children are going to make the three most significant decisions they're ever going to make in the rest of their life, and those three decisions are going to affect every single person they're ever going to know for, the, for another 150 years. Think this is important? Those three decisions are going to affect you. They're going to finally decide for sure who is going to be my master. What will be my mission? What's my purpose? I need to know that from God. And who will be my mate? And when they make those decisions, it's going to affect you, all the rest of your family, and every person they're ever going to know for another 150 years. Three or four generations will be impacted by those three decisions. They need to know their master. And they need to be influenced by their master and they need to be influenced by you who know their master and can keep them connected to their master so that you can influence their thinking. So that as they make those decisions, they make the right decisions. It's huge. Marriage, other than knowing God, marriage is the biggest decision you're ever going to make. You know, marriage is the one relationship from which you can never take a vacation. 
And that's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? I thought maybe you'd be a little more enthusiastic about that. <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? Amen, Pastor. See, Esau married wives just out of spite. He married the very girls his parents told him not to marry. They had no influence on him, did they? None. In fact, he went and married the daughters of Ishmael. Again, we're still seeing and experiencing the implications of those decisions more than 3,000 years later. Think this is significant? Maybe this is more important than we thought. Jacob was sent away by his mother after he had stolen the blessing and the birthright from his older brother by deception because his mother told him to. He was running from Esau, running toward a land his mother told him to go so that he could find a wife from the right family line, which he ultimately did. But on his way, he passed through the land that had been given to his grandfather Abraham, which later became the promised land. And as he stopped there, he stopped and he had a dream one night as he was sleeping. And he saw in this dream, we'll see it in the passage of scripture in a moment. He saw in this dream the understanding that God is there. He had no idea. Why? Why did he not know? How could he not know? parents were so busy being deceptive and creating competition and favoritism they didn't show him who God was they didn't show him how to know God personally he says God's here I didn't even know it Genesis 28 verse 16 says when Jacob he's now traveling on his way to find a wife he's traveling through Israel the land later becomes known as Israel named after him when Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. I didn't know it. How could he not know? He was afraid. Notice, why is he afraid of God? He doesn't understand his identity yet, does he? How awesome is this place? There's none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone he'd put under his head and set up as a pillar, poured oil over the top of it. He called it that name, that place Bethel, which means house of God, by the way. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. When Jacob made a vow saying, if, what do you mean if God will be with me? If, how can he not know? He's not been taught, has he? If God will be with me and will keep me on the journey that I take and will give me food to eat, see, he's, he's hoping God will provide for him and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. God, if you prove yourself to me, you'll be my God. God's promises are true from beginning to end. He's never changed. This stone, which I've set up a pillar, will be the house of, will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. At least he understood that when God is your God, everything comes from God, and we have this relationship where we return the portion that belongs to him out of trust and adoration. 
He had no idea he could actually have that kind of relationship with God. Why? His parents had never told him. The good news is, the good news is, God was right there with him, wasn't he? Can I say it again? God was right there with him. Even when he was running, God will track you down farther than you know if you'll just pause long enough to recognize that he's chasing you. Jacob went to the land his mother sent him to uh, to keep him alive so that he could find a wife and from the right family line. But again, there's a deception issue. Now his uncle Laban, the brother to his mom, Rebecca, deceives him after working for seven years, deceives him into marrying a woman Jacob didn't want to marry. And then promises, if you'll work another seven years, you can have the one you want. Deception, deception, deception. Follows him around, doesn't it? You know why? It's the law of sowing and reaping. This is extra, by the way. It's not my notes, but it can mean yours. It's the law of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. It's a law that God has established. You reap what you sow. It's like the law of gravity. If I throw a stone up, it's coming down. Not because I threw it up, but because the law of gravity says it's going to come down. The law of sowing and reaping is the same thing. You reap what you sow. <clears throat> Help me remember to add that to my notes next, next year. Uh, so identity, you have to have the right master. And number three, you have to teach, teach them to be the people, to be people of peace. Teach your children to be people of peace. This was no, there was never any peace in Esau's life. His whole identity got wrapped up in war and fighting and killing. That's why there was never any peace in Jacob's life either. That's why we need the Prince of Peace in our lives. That's why the Prince of Peace, Jesus our Lord, needed to come and rescue us from the situation we're in so that we could experience His peace, a peace that knows no end, a peace we can't even comprehend. Now, if you read through Genesis chapter 31 and Genesis chapter 32, you'll watch, and I'll explain this story very briefly to you. In Genesis chapter 31, once again, Jacob decides he's going to leave, and he leaves by deception. He's not really doing anything wrong necessarily, but he leaves by deception. So Laban, his father-in-law, chases him because Rebecca, or not Rebecca, but Rachel, his favorite wife, ah, here we go again. Steals the family idols, the family gods. So Laban chased him down, caught him, but didn't find the family gods because Rachel is hiding them. They have this meeting of the minds. They come to an understanding. They essentially draw a line in the sand, literally, and Laban, his father-in-law, says, Jacob, as long as you don't come back across this line, you and I will be good. And Jacob said, and Laban, as long as you don't come across this line, you and I will be good. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent, one from the other. You ever hear that line? It's not a blessing. It's a warning. God will be watching. It will depend on him to be the judge between us as to who keeps the agreement. He goes on then, he that night he wrestled with God. That's why he, that's why God changed his name. His name had been Jacob, usurper, deceiver. 
until the night he wrestled with God. Now, you know what? When Jacob wrestled with God that night in prayer, the one thing Jacob knew to do was to hold on to God. By this time, he knew there's only one source of good. There's only one source of blessing. There's only one source of truth. There's only one source of hope. There's only one source of purpose. And I got a hold of him, and I'm not going to let go. That's what it means. When he, when he wrestled with God, the na- God said, what's your name? Now, do you really think God needed to ask that question? What's your name? Jacob said, my name's Jacob. You know what he's saying to God? My name's Deceiver. That's who I am. God said, I'm going to change your name. What's God doing? God is establishing a new identity. It gives me chills just to think about that. His name is Israel. The man who wrestles in the dust with God and will not let go. That's your name from now on. You will be the one who holds on to me even if it hurts you to hold on. You will hold on to me and you will not let go and I will be the God who will bless you. That's your new identity. God wants to give you a new identity if you don't know what it is. God wants to make you a man or woman of peace if you didn't know that yet. God wants to pour out his blessing on you and in you and through you if you didn't know that yet. So what's standing in the way? You know, Israel, Jacob, used to be formerly known as, is now Israel. He goes on, his next encounter is going to be with Esau. Chapter 32. Esau is sworn to kill him. So he sends gifts on ahead. In this culture, if, you have a, if, you, if you're going to meet a friend, you send some gifts. If you're going to meet an enemy, you send a lot of gifts. The phrase is sweet in the mouth. When Israel finally encounters his brother Esau. He's received the gifts that he says he doesn't really need, and they embraced. And Esau looked at Israel and said, when I look at your face, it's it's like I'm looking at the face of God. That's what happens. That's what happens in your life. When you hold on to God and you know who you are and you know that he has a hold of you and there's nothing coming between him and you. Parents, your children need to know this desperately. They need to see you live this way. Parents, if there's no peace in your home, 
That's what your children are seeing. And that's what they're learning. Parents, if there's no hope, if there's fear in your home, that's what your children are soaking up. And that's what they're seeing. And that's what they're learning. Friends, we need to know God. We need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. And God wants to impart that to you today. If you don't yet have an identity in Christ, if you don't yet have, have experienced God's blessing, if, you, if, there's, if there's conflict between you and perhaps you feel like there's conflict between you and God or between you and your spouse or between you and your children or between you and a friend or between you and a coworker, or between you and anyone, Today is the day to bring that here and leave it at the altar and let God heal it. Let him heal your heart, your mind, give, him, give you your purpose, maybe give you a whole new identity. Today's your day. Maybe you haven't yet had an opportunity or chosen to raise your children the way we've been talking about. Today's your day. It can begin today. So as the worship team comes, would you pray with me? Father, we need you and we need your truth and we, we need your grace and we need your forgiveness and we need your leadership in our lives. We, we're desperate for you, God. We're just as desperate for you today as Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebecca were, but the choice is still ours. We get to choose. You've made that true still today. So today, God, I pray that every man and woman, every child, boy and girl, in the sound of my voice, will take all of the steps that you're leading us to take today. Some of us, Father, need to come to this altar and give our lives to you. Some of us need to come and give you all of the confusion and pain. Some of us need to come and receive your grace and your forgiveness and a new identity. We all need you, God. And you know, as I've been praying all week, my prayer is that every person here will respond to you and take the steps receive what you have and walk in your truth from this moment forward whether we're raising children or grandchildren or have influence over children or you need need healing in our own lives father i pray that we'll lay pride down and fear will be set aside that we'll humbly while you tell us god in your word that you oppose the proud but you give grace to the humble. So help us all to be humble and receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm going to invite you to come and pray. And I hope that if you have sensed the Holy Spirit at work in you today, that you'll come and do that. There'll be people to pray with you if you'd like for someone to pray with you. Either way, this is your moment. So let's stand.
and come to pray.